0: We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee? Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right, sell your car the instant way and get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Hello and welcome to another edition of
1: Inspiring Stories. My name is Tim McMillan. This is a series brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. And someone who has done an extraordinary job in building a fruit and veg empire here in WA and taking on the government along the way. You all know him as the Spud King now. You might also know him as Tony Galati. And we welcome him for this edition of Inspiring Stories. Tony, hello. Hello, how are you going? I'm going well. How are you? Not too bad. That's good. Um, can I ask you about the Spud King? When did that title first uh, land upon you? And, and it's obviously stuck.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that happened uh, back in the years when the, the Spud Wars were going on and uh, yep. we kept on fighting the potato board and yeah, they virtually, they call me the Spud King. How
1: do you feel about the Spud King? Do you feel like the Spud King is a character that you play, or is, or, or, or are you the Spud King? The Spud King is Tony Galati.
2: I don't really know. I just I know myself as Tony, and that's it. They, <laughs> as long as they don't call me anything worse.
1: Yeah, not to your face, anyway. <laughs> um, but look, uh, look we'll, we'll touch on your battles over the the potato industry uh, a little bit later, because that was uh, an epic fight, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, but look, I'm keen to get to know. Uh, where you've come from, your family, um, and and really where this uh, where the Spudshed Empire uh, had its first roots, if you like, literally and yeah. figuratively.
2: Um, my, my my father was uh, he migrated into into WA in yep. 1953.
1: Yep. So and part of that post World War II absolutely yeah. uh, and, and wave then, of migration from from Sicily from Sicily. Yeah,
2: and then he worked in the quarries. He worked pretty hard. And uh, his uncle that brought him over here, yep. or his godfather, he uh, <coughs> they were into growing.
1: And imagine if you're Sicilian, you don't disobey the godfather. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: it. And uh, that's what happened. That's where he started uh, learning how to grow vegetables because they didn't grow vegetables commercially in Sicily. They okay. They were they had cows and they had goats and
1: yeah, shit. yeah.
2: So they were always from the land.
1: And, and what prompted the move uh, from Sicily to Perth in the first place? Just simply in, seeking in, a better Sicily,
2: life yeah, they 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 always wanted a better place to live, or yep. a better better life because it was pretty bad after the war there. And he had a uh, a relative over here, which was his godfather, and called him over, and he came over. Yeah, and he the amount of times he told me when he first got the Fremantle, he couldn't believe it. Yeah, he, he, he jumped off the off the, off the boat, and uh, I think they made the New Market Hotel. Yeah, and uh, when he got there the first day, he goes, "I need to work to make enough." My fear to go back. Is that right? 27 years later, he went back. 27 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, how old was he when he first came out? I think he was about uh, 20, 24, I think it was.
1: Okay. And, and a single man at the time? A man, yeah. yeah? yeah. Uh, just came out, obviously, uh, you say his godfather, yeah. uncle. Um, encouraged him too. Uh, got off the boat. Obviously, a little bit homesick by the sounds yeah. of it. Um, what happened
2: then? Well, he went to Spearwood and <clears throat> and uh, he he lived in an old shack, yeah, which was made of limestone uh, blocks and uh, rocks with a tin roof, and that's where he slept the first night. He reckons it was, I think he came in February. It was really hot. Mm-hmm. He reckons it was that hot and he couldn't sleep because mm. the heat. And uh, yeah, then from then on, he he, uh, they, he got a job working with his cousin in the quarries. Yep, and uh, he was. Or, or his main aim was to make enough money for a fare to go back. Yeah. Because the thing is, it's not like now you grab a mobile phone, you ring him up. You know, I'm having a bad time. There's no phones. They couldn't yeah. afford a phone call. Yeah. They sent a letter, and for them to get a letter used to be you know six to eight weeks before before his family got the letter. Yeah. So you know, just imagine, you know, going over to another country and you you know your parents don't know how you are going until you get until they get the letter.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he's uh, he settles here. He's working in the quarries. How long was he doing that for before he decided to uh, fruit in the veg quarries. My future?
2: He worked in the quarries <laughs> – no, that was after a long time. He yeah. worked in the quarries and uh, for about two or three years. And then after that, his cousin had a bad accident and passed away or had a heart attack, passed away. And then uh, he was left to his own devices and he left the quarries and he, and he started working at the wool scours, just getting jobs everywhere. Yeah. And then – He's he made a career out of painting. He was an industrial painter. He painted till he was about sixty-five. Wow! And then we did the market gun on on part time right. weekends. Yep. And school holidays.
1: Okay. Um, when he came, obviously there were others who'd come from that part of the world here. Yeah. Did he? Did he sort of uh, fit into a, a community here, or did he no. feel like he was more or less on his own
2: back then? All the Italians just to hang around yep. together. They never <clears throat> they never mixed and. You know, they were just like relatives used to go and work with each other, you know what I mean? Like, and they used to hang around together. Just to give you an indication, when I went to school, I didn't even know there was an English language. (laughs) So there's me, first day at school and all these people were talking to me, I didn't understand a word of what I was
1: saying. Wow. Well, I was going to ask, you you obviously grew up in a house speaking Italian. Italian, yeah. Full-time, full-time Italian. Italian.
2: Didn't know there was an English language. Wow. That's, That's how I segregated we were from other people. What a culture shock then Absolutely
1: for you. Nice, I yeah. mean, it was almost probably not unlike when your father uh, arrived here on the boat, you yeah. turning up to school and finding out that everyone else is uh, speaking a different language.
2: Exactly. And the thing is too, we had you know, a lot of cousins and friends and they were, they were in the same boat. Yeah. We, when we used to catch up, we used to speak in, in Italian didn't mm. speak in English because we didn't know there was an English language. Mm. And you know, it's, it's a massive change, mm. but you know, after six months, eight months, I was their interpreter.
1: Yeah. Um, when you started going to school, obviously that introduced you to uh, a lot of uh, kids who hadn't come from your, your background as well. Yeah. Um, what was school like for you? Where did where did you go to school? Where did you first sort of
2: uh, I started call home in Perth? I St. Jerome's yeah. Primary School. And then from then I went to uh, Spield Primary. Uh, and then I went to Hamilton Hamil- Hamilton Hill yeah. Senior High School.
1: Okay. And and school for you, did you see it as uh, uh, as your... Trajectory towards anything in particular then, or was were you we always sort of no, thinking uh, agriculture is my my future?
2: No, back then, you know, even I left school at seventeen. We weren't market gardening. We were yeah. just, you know, I actually worked in a in a structural engineering place for about two years, and I was their purchasing officer. Right, and then there was something that we can all do. You know, like my brother was a boiler maker. Yep, my other brother went just working grainer working, and there was something that we all knew how to do. Yeah. kind of pulled everybody in. And that's how we started our, our growing, you know, growing vegetables yeah. in a big way.
1: Where did you learn to grow veggies from? Something you picked up from, from your dad or extended family?
2: Uh, we did a lot of, a lot of research yep. and finding out. Because you know, my father he didn't have much of an education you know, that they, just by experience, but they knew how to grow. Yep. But that's we, my brother and myself, we learned. We taught yep. ourselves how to grow uh, vegetables in a commercial way because we only had five acres back then. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it wasn't much.
1: Yeah. So what did you what, what did you grow at home firstly? That, we, uh, that, we started
2: growing beans.
1: Right. And that was bloody hard work. <laughs> Just hard work to uh, to it was uh, it was uh, well, the to, thing to is it, it
2: it was probably our learning camp where we yeah. learned how to you know, earn our dollars and right it was really hard work and yeah you know the stamina yeah but, you know at a young age you know. And it taught us about business as well. Yep, yeah, economics and you know, mm. what you can, make, what the costs were. Just to give you an indication, when I was about uh, ten years old, I used to do all my, my dad's. Uh, well, I used to do all, all his accounts and <laughs> do his checks. And wow,
1: ten year old, ten year old, you'd be the, you'd be just about the youngest accountant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but the I thing is, I, I tell my kids now, and, and you know, I look at my yeah. old son, he, he's going to be eight. Yeah, and I look at you know I go back and I say, oh my God, you know, two years of, uh, older than him. Yeah, I, I was running. Yeah, I was doing all the conciliation with the bank and, mm. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes when we used to go to the accountants or, or, or the or the bank manager, and I used to be their interpreter. Yeah, um,
1: it, within the family, siblings.
2: Uh, I was the oldest. Yep, and of course, in a Italian family, the tradition. Yep, the oldest. Gets to do most of the things. Yeah. He gets all the you got to pave the way for the younger ones. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, tell us about your your siblings and the age difference between you guys.
2: Well, I'm the oldest and yep. I've got a sister and I've got my brother. Yep. He's three years younger than me. And then I've got my other younger brother. He's about eight years younger than me. Okay. And us boys all group together. and
1: You're still pulling them into line. We still pull them into line.
2: <laughs> um, they are
1: part of the, the, the spud shed set up as well. Yes. Aren't they? Yeah. 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 They, do they still take orders from their big brother? Yes, they certainly do.
2: <laughs> Reluctantly. <laughs> um, uh, now the young the young generation, you know, my, my son, he's kind of taken over the, yeah. the role,
1: CEO of the group. Um, can I say, your, your father, it would seem, from what I've read anyway, seems to be uh, the one who really laid the the foundations for what would become uh, your family business. Uh, and I suppose that, that fighting instinct, would I be right in saying that, because uh, he got into strife, didn't he? When he wanted to, he was working as a painter and wanted to yes. earn some extra money. That's sort of where he, the the Gilardi family started their battle with authorities.
2: Yes, back back then he had a license to to grow potatoes, and they took it off him because he had a second job. Yep, and it was it was so wrong because you know, he was just being honest. Other guys had had the second job, so yeah, they were saying that you know it was their wife working. You know, they put the, the license on their, their, their wives, their spouse's name, yep. but my old man was just honest, because you know, it, was, it was his, and then they uh, had an excuse to take his license off him, mm. and that's how the battle started. But my dad, he didn't want to cause any waves, he just mm. went with the flow.
1: Yep, and paid the price.
2: And paid the price, yeah.
1: Yeah, all right, we'll get into that a little more after this uh, break. Uh, you'll listen to Inspiring Stories right here on
0: 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family owned funeral directors. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back
1: to this edition of Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is Tony Gallardi, aka the Spud King. Of course, you always haven't been uh, the Spud King, uh, Tony. So I'm keen to know where uh, the Spud Shed uh, started and uh, and how you you went about growing it into the uh, into the the operation that it is today. Because it's a, it's a sizeable operation these days, isn't it? Yes, yeah, especially is. for a privately run family business, essentially.
2: Yeah, it keeps us pretty busy. Yeah,
1: I can imagine. Um, so take us back to uh, to the 90s when uh, when the Spudge had really, really formed.
2: Yeah, back in 1998, I, I thought that there was a market yep. for the product we were growing. And uh, yeah, we started a little store and we advertised that we we opened up on a weekend. Yep. And I couldn't believe the response that we had. And it was only a little place in Beldivis.
1: Yeah, is and- it was just a, sort of a, a local market, was it?
2: It was just a lo- local market. It was about uh, twenty square meters. That's what wow. It was.
1: Yeah, and that, so that was your shop front, essentially, was it? Absolutely. Yeah, no,
2: it was, it was, we had a big pack house there, a big shed. Yeah. And we thought that we sell to the public. Okay. Because we had a lot of product, and a lot yep. of product was getting wasted, and yep. And uh, we couldn't sell it, and we thought, Jesus, you know, if we sell it a little bit cheaper, I think we should be able to sell it. Yeah. And it certainly worked.
1: Okay, and then, so that's 1998. You've now. 1998. Yeah. Um, here we are. Twenty years later, yeah.
2: and uh, I remember <laughs> things have progressed. <laughs> a couple, a couple of tubs upside down, and a bit of a board, and yeah. a couple of calculators, and that was our tills. So yeah, that's how we started.
1: So when you say you got a great response, you're talking about people um, enjoyed the was it the quality of the produce, the price of the produce, The price and quality, the, yeah. and, and
2: being on a farm as
1: well, yeah, knowing where it had come from, absolutely, yeah. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's been a, a market dominated by two players in particular. Yes. Uh, Coles and Woolworths. Yep. Um, you're now in a position where you can really offer an alternative to them, aren't you, and take them on?
2: Well, we're, we're, we don't want to take anybody on. We just do our, our own thing. Yeah. And uh, we've got our clientele; they've got theirs. And as long as we're all Australian companies, that's yep. what I support. Mm. And uh, I think uh, we should all work together. What's your point of difference then?
1: Uh, still that direct well, from farm to the shop. Direct,
2: direct to the from from farm. To uh the consumers, that's yeah. our that's our difference. Our okay. Difference. Well, uh,
1: from humble beginnings, often the it, you know the story does start with a with a humble beginning. Your uh, your your twenty square meter uh, place down there in in Beldivis, uh to your first spud shed. How did that come about? Because that must have been a sizeable undertaking in itself at the
2: time. Well, the thing is, when I when I wanted to start the uh the little retail outlet at the front of the spud shed, my brothers and my father, I thought I went mad. Yep, yeah. and. Uh, I said no, we're going to do it. Trust me, it'll it'll work. Yeah. And after weeks of arguing and fighting, we certainly I, I did it. Yeah. And uh, now we've never looked back. And you and your very first spud shed it was back in 1988. Okay. Uh, 1998. 98. So 98. Right. Whereabouts? In Belldivers. In Divers, yeah, Okay. On the farm.
1: Yeah. Uh, and now, well, locations around around Perth.
2: Yeah. Now we've got nine locations around. Yeah eight in Perth and one in uh, australian
1: If uh, if someone had told you back in 1998 that you'd have, you know, nine pretty big premises, um, would you have believed it? Probably not. Was that always your, your goal to just get bigger, bigger, no, bigger? No, like,
2: like I keep on saying, we never make any plans. Yeah. You know, just things evolve and we just follow yeah. what happens, you know. Yeah. We get up every morning, we, we do our long day's work and just keep on doing it the next day. And like I said, there, there's no plans. They're just... Things evolve, how they've evolved, and yeah, just destiny and luck.
1: You, you seem like a pretty hands-on uh, business operator, though. What's it? What's an average day for you, Tony?
2: I wake up every morning about three o'clock. Three a.m. Three a.m. every morning. And <laughs> are uh, you mad?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I am. <laughs> All right, what's happening at three o'clock that uh, that
2: needs such urgent attention? Then that gets well, you. Well, what of I, I do is I, I get up at three o'clock. I go to the markets every morning. Every I do, morning I do all my, my my buying. I look at all the product, yeah, and negotiate all the prices for yep. our, for our consumers, so I can offer them a, a good uh, price and good value, yeah, for their uh, for, for their dollar.
1: Presumably, you have do you, you order it, and you have a no, no we, you have we, have all the trucks out there as well. Do you or yeah
2: no no we, ready we got, to go? We've got our own transport fleet. Yeah, I'm out there every morning, like I said. We buy it all. We we come in. We we check it all off, and then we yep. send, send it to the shops according to what they order. Okay. Well, so that's three o'clock until morning, I probably, later in the morning. Yeah, I'll probably get to the warehouse about 3.30, 4 o'clock. Yeah. And then probably leave the markets about nine o'clock every morning. Okay. And that happens on a six six days. And then on, on the Saturday, i work at the warehouse as well, distributing products. So, you, so it, you,
1: you're working pretty seven, much.
2: Yeah, we work, I work seven days a week.
1: Wow. How much longer are you going to keep that up for? As long as I can. Yeah. Okay. Um, What about during the rest of the day? Do you enjoy uh, being in an office or do you prefer being, getting, getting, getting a bit of dirt under the fingernails? I've
2: got an office at the head office. I probably wouldn't spend half an hour a week in there. (laughs) That's how you uh, like it. We, you know, I spend a lot of time doing meetings and. Yeah. Yeah. With the guys and like I said, my my sons, they kind of run that side of it now, which frees me to go out in the field and on the farms and in the shops.
1: Is that where you feel most at home still? When you're yes, out on a yes, farm, yeah, on a yeah.
2: farm. That's that's where I virtually belong.
1: Yeah. Do you still actually grow your own stuff personally that you take charge of? This is my patch. I'm growing this stuff here. No, no, it's it's commercial. You don't have time it's for commerc- that. No, it's commercially yeah. done. Yeah. Um, a lot of business people who who see a, a big escalation in their their operation talk about the growing pains of uh, of, of that phase of their their business life. Um. Uh, given that you are so passionate about the the quality of the produce and where it's come from and make making sure that it's you know as fresh as possible by the time it gets to the shelf, have you experienced that uh, that difficulty you know because you can't be in too many places well, at once the, can you
2: the thing, the thing is we we've got weather on us on against us you know if you yep. get storm or if you get frost or if you get hail yeah that's when, you, when you've got no control yep, and sometimes if you get adverse weather like this year has been a very cool summer. So we've got grapes. Yeah, we couldn't get the sugar up. We couldn't get the color up. Yeah, so it always causes problems. It's, it's you know it's something that we can't control.
1: Yeah. Um, tell us about how many farms you've got around WA now, because you, you're from the from the far south up to the north now, aren't you? It's it's yeah. quite an extraordinary spread.
2: We we got farms from Mangum up. Yep. Then in, in the Up strip, and then we've got uh, a uh, grape farm in Bindoon. Yep. And then we've got one in Walkaway next to Geraldton. Yep. And then of course we've got the mango farm in Kananara. Yeah. So we're spread up, you know, quite a few kilometres.
1: And you've got eggs. Yes, of now. your own, you've got, we've got you've got our own meat. We've got, yep. our own we've got our
2: own chicken farms. We've got our own meat processing uh, facility where we do all our own mints every day. We actually we do fresh mints every day yep. for our stores. We do fresh sausages, we do hamburgers, we do the whole lot. Yeah. And 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 plants to grow it even more? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably do a bit more. Where does it stop? Like I said, we don't plan anything; just, <laughs> just, just evolve and, and whatever happens. You know? I mean, that's that's over
1: a, a pretty big expanse of WA, isn't it? From you know, from Manjimup up to uh, Kananara How how often yeah, do you the, get up to
2: Kananara? Uh I probably I used to go there quite often. Yeah. Now probably about twice a year, but in the in the mango season, I go quite often. Yeah. But my son Frankie, he's kind of taken over that role, so okay. he he looks after that and the grapes. Yeah. So I do all the, you yeah, know, with the shops and with the local farms. How many How
1: many of your extended family have you got now working for for the well, family?
2: Well, I've got four of my kids, three, yeah. three of the boys, and yeah. my daughter works in the business as well. Yeah. And my brother's got uh, four boys, and they all yeah. work in the business. Yeah. So. It's
1: absolutely a family business, isn't it?
2: And my brother's got yeah. uh, another one of his sons, and he works in the workshop. Yeah. And it's a, a mechanic, so. We've got them all over the place.
1: So an executive spudshed meeting is pretty much just a family get together. Just, <laughs> just about. How do you go with uh, is Squabbles within the family? Are you all uh, all on the same page all of the time, or um, yeah, actually, you, know, uh, you guys for, sort for,
2: of? Fortunately, that uh, the cousins, my kids, and my nephews, they they get on well quite well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no dramas there, and uh, they actually follow the role that that I take, and because, like I said, most of the time that. Most of the time I do. Yeah. Decisions to run. And,
1: right, and right. do they already, you seem like someone who's got a, a pretty extraordinary work ethic, you know, up at three in the morning, you're working pretty much seven days a week. Yeah. Um, do you expect that from everyone who works for you or do you accept not, that not everyone has your...
2: Not at, not at all. I don't yeah. expect those hours, even my kids, you know, I don't expect them to work the way I work. But the thing is, you know, I've been doing it for so long Yeah. and it becomes part of your life and your passion and the thing is you want to be there with your, with your staff and Alongside yeah. with them, and if there's any dramas you can work it out with them, you know what I mean? Mm.
1: And the kids, do they at any point express a desire to do anything else, anything outside of the, the family uh, business, or did it just seem just written in the stars? They'd, they'd follow you down this road.
2: No, this is the business that I built yep. for them, and they're passionate about what they do, and I think they'll carry it to the next level.
1: All right, Tony. After the break, uh, we're going to talk about uh, you versus the potato marketing corporation because that was uh, that was an epic fight. Uh, extensively covered uh, in the media so we'll get you to talk us uh, through that uh, that battle okay, after the break. Not a problem. Uh, Tony Galli is our special guest on this uh, edition of Inspiring Stories brought to you, brought to you by Barra and O'Day back with more
0: in just a moment on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors.
1: And welcome back on 882 6PR to this edition of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Tony Ghilardi uh, is my special guest uh, for this particular edition. Uh, Tony, a lot of people who didn't know you beforehand certainly got to know you during your Battle against uh, the potato industry regulator, the Potato Marketing Corporation. I must say, it was a, a body that I wasn't even aware of existed uh, until you took them on. Um, it seemed like such an antiquated concept, anyway, um, having a potato marketing corporation. Um, But it dates back to 1946. It had been around for quite some time. Um, Can you talk us through where your battle really started, where you decided, I'm going to take these people on, and and why you were so driven to
2: do that? Well, it started uh, a long time ago when they took my father on, back in the days, when they took his licence off him. yeah. And then, so you know, so he
1: was growing spuds. He was growing spuds to sell to, uh, to complement his wage as a painter.
2: Absolutely right. And so he was he was selling the potato board. You know, it was all controlled. Yep. And yeah, uh, you know, they they leant on him then, and they took his license. Yep. And you know, my man didn't do anything about it. it what did
1: what did that mean to him personally?
2: Well, the thing is, you know, we were making a reasonable income yep. out of it, and you know, we still it on the weekends. Yep. And uh, yeah, they they took that uh, opportunity off us. Yep. And for no, for, for just for a stupid reason. And then. And and when, when was that? That was probably in the early seventies. Right. Yeah. A long time ago. Okay. And but, then we started growing spuds. We, you know, we, when we all started growing vegetables, we we weren't even growing potatoes. We, we started growing broccoli and carrots. Yep. And then we started growing potatoes and then we realized that we had to have a license. So mm. we went and bought a few licenses here and there. And then. You know, it was going pretty good. We are growing good quality potatoes and we are expanding. New varieties were coming up. And then uh, a lot of growers were seeing us as a threat because we were expanding very quickly. Yep. Because we had, you know, we were growing quality potatoes. A lot of our ground was pretty fresh ground because it never had spuds in it. Yep. And uh, our spuds stood out. Yep. And that's when other growers were kind of telling the regulator to keep on control on us because we were... Too many getting too and, big and too, quickly. Too, too quickly. Yeah. Because then we could have been a threat to them. Mm. And we kept on buying licenses and all the licenses were available, even though we were paying more than what they were worth. But we went through it.
1: Because there were only a certain number of licenses that were up for grabs in building, Is that right? About 80 odd?
2: There was about 80 licenses, but they yeah. covered different areas and different pools. So okay. you know, the license that you harvest in September was worth more than the license that you were, were harvesting in December, you see? Yep. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, and like I said, we expanded. And then they tried to lean on us. Yeah, you know, we, uh, one season there, we grew when a new variety of potatoes came up, which was back then was Nardines. Now, I think it's about 20 years ago. And the growing time was extended because we used to grow the Delawares. Yep. The Delawares were about three or four weeks earlier than what the Nardines were. So we weren't aware of this. So we were playing in Nardines and we missed our pull. Yep. So we were about a month to six weeks late. And that was an opportunity to try and stifle us in expanding because they knew it was a lot of, you know, it was, quite a, it was nearly about 2,500, 1, 1,500 spuds. Yeah. And they expected me to plow them in. And there's no way that I was going to do that. Yeah. So that's when we first started. I said, well, shit, if, that's, if we're going to do that, I might as well harvest them because we had to harvest them anyway because we had to plant the yeah. crop, crop right behind it. So well, we didn't dump them, so we, we gave them away. Mm. and that caused an up- uproar. Oh, huge uproar. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, if we weren't allowed to sell them, if I gave them away, that would affect them because I wouldn't be able to sell their spots. Yeah. And that's how our, war, our first okay. war started. With. And
1: then it all really came to a head. Well, okay. in the courts, not far from here.
2: Yeah, and then um, what happened was then it was on. Yeah. is it, it was just tit for tat. <clears throat> we had to go at them, they had to go at us. Yep. And uh, that went on for nearly 20 years. Yeah. It was, you know, we, we fought them all the way, it cost us a lot of money, you know, it, it caused a lot of stress in the families. Yep. But uh, we all stuck together and... Uh, How bad we,
1: did it get? I mean, were there, were there threats made at
2: all? Um, yeah, there was lots of threats, but it didn't worry. Verbal threats? Just... There was phone call, yep. phone threats, and there was verbal yep. threats, but like I said, it didn't worry. Did
1: at you at take all. them seriously? Were they to be taken seriously or was it they just a bit of, bit of ser- they were to be taken serious, but it,
2: but it didn't worry us because yeah. like i said we you know we could you can handle yourselves. we, we would uh, fight back yeah and the thing is we believed in something that was wrong mm. and it was in an artificial market yep. that they were creating and then i quickly realized there was only a handful of growers that were behind it They were controlling the whole lot yeah and till this day they know who they are yeah i know that they know that i know who they are mm. and like i said we fought them all the way. We suffered a lot a lot of bruises from the fight. But like I said, we feel in a way we <clears throat> we won the war, but it costed us mm. a lot. Worth it though? Certainly was. Mm. Yeah, I don't regret any in any minute of it at all. And like I says, the the <laughs> winning at the end. And we got our justice. But not only just for us. Yep. We open it up for a lot of other growers. anybody can grow spuds now. And yep. the thing is, too, it's very it's it's comp- it's an open market, it's competitive. Yep. You've got good quality potatoes, you'll sell them. If you want to sell them at a price, you can. And there's no no interference from any other parties.
1: I I can still recall footage of you uh, strolling uh, towards the courtroom. Uh, what two or three years ago? Uh, even then, it was very apparent that you had a, a really steely determination in your eyes. Uh, you yeah. were I mean, that was really when it. When it came to a final conclusion, wasn't it? But uh, you seemed desperately keen
2: to see it through to the end. Absolutely, we weren't going to give up. And like yeah. I said, is what I I believe in is, is is something that you really believe in. You yep. never give up. You yep. fight to the end, whatever happens. Yeah, you lose or you or you win. Mm. But uh, you know you stick to what you believe in. Right. And at what did end, it mean to you then
1: to to get there, for that legal action to be uh, to be finished?
2: Well, it was a massive re- relief. You know we. Then you realize the cost, but you know, once you weigh it all up, it's, it is certainly. When hard. you say the cost, you're talking about the, the legal costs, the legal costs, you know, everything else that went with it. And I certainly think it, it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Did it take a toll on you personally in terms of your health? Uh, not at all. Actually, it made me stronger Yeah. because you know, it, it, it's in our DNA. We've got that, we'll, we'll fight all the way. Yeah. And like I says, it's, it's a passion. Yep. Yeah. And it wasn't the fight then at the end. It wasn't just my fight. Yeah. It was so many people, so many old Italians and and Greek guys and people in the in in their 50s that they all suffered. They, they, they were treated really bad. Mm. And you know, it was like it was a fight that I did it for all of them as well, my father as well. So, you know, it was definitely yeah. worth it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, was that uh, something of a – of a gift, if you like, uh, to your father and to a, a way to honour his memory.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, God wasn't outside, and mm. he, he knew that what we were doing was right, mm. and uh, we finally got across the line. Did you celebrate the moment in any way? Tell you the truth, we—I says when uh, we uh, if we'd ever win that, that battle, I'd get drunk, but I didn't even get drunk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not a drinker.
2: I'm not a drinker at all. Not even a splash of grappa every now and then. Or, oh, you do that with your coffee
1: yeah. sometimes in the morning. <laughs> yeah, um, the I mean, all of the, the those beautiful Italian traditions. You know, the the big family meals and you know, massive bowls of pasta and grappa and all of that. Is that uh, is that what happens around the Galati household as well?
2: No, unfortunately, that uh, my mum doesn't do the cooking anymore, so everybody goes. But the thing is, it's. Now it's a lot different. Yeah. It's, we live in such a busy world that mm. nobody's got time and yeah. you know, the kids run their way I run my way and it, it's very hard. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes it hard sometimes. Mm. I bet. Um, we're going to talk about uh, this
1: uh, larger-than-life character that has become the Spud King uh, over the years, this cult following that you seem to have, Tony, so uh, we'll get into that after the break. This is Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day.
0: Back with more on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. And welcome
1: back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Tony Gallardi, aka the Spud King. Um, Tony, I want to ask about the way you've uh, engaged with uh, the media over the years because uh, um, it almost seems like you've, uh, you know, had some strategy. I, I, look, I'm guessing it hasn't been a, you know, it hasn't been like that for you. But like you've just because you've played it so well, um, I think the way that you've represented yourself and the company. Um, has only added to you. It seems like you've, you've, you've been able to use it to your advantage. Um, is there any separation between Tony and the, and the Spud King? Do you feel like when you're, when you're out and about and people probably yell out to you, Hey, Spud King, do you feel like, um, you've almost got this larger than life status?
2: Not at all. I just, you know, I'm I'm like one of them. I keep on telling them I'm, I'm like you guys, you know what I mean? I'm part of the community and, uh, I respect everybody. Yeah, they respect me, and I respect them back. You know,
1: I mean, people would probably be listening to this now, thinking, "I wonder if Tony's in there. He's got his uh, his blue shorts on, the work boots, and the and the sleeveless blue top." And I can tell you, you absolutely do. You that's is that the only outfit you got in your wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: well, I've got about twenty singlets and twenty, I <laughs> 20 pairs of uh, socks and half a dozen pairs of shorts.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could honestly, you could you could put your name on that on that outfit. Have some sort of signature Tony Gallati outfit, and and people would buy it. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you, I, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a sycophant here. But you, you've gone on to become one of the most recognizable faces in Perth. You know, whether you wanted to or not. Um, does that does that sort of freak you out at times?
2: Yeah, sometimes it does. But like I said, I feel good to be part of wA yeah. and. Like I said, West Australians—they've been behind us all the way through, and yeah, like I said, I'm part of them, and I'll always be part of them.
1: I mean, uh, just in the last uh, couple of years, I've, I remember a uh, a, a young bloke—I think he was only nine or so—dressing um, up as Tony Gallardi for for his school book week. Uh, a photo like that hits uh, social media, ends up going going viral. I mean, how how does that sit with you when you when you hear stories like that?
2: Well, the thing is, it, it really amazes me because, like I said, this kid. Was really outstanding, and and it was one of these guys that was really out there. And you can see, I can tell that that kid will, will go a long way. Mm. Uh, and more recently,
1: there was a <laughs> a party, I think, in Bayswater, wasn't there? A yeah. bunch of blokes, uh, rental house. I think they were moving out of the ho- house, weren't they? And they yeah. their house had taken on the nickname of of, of, of the Spud Shed. The so of sponge, course, they, they had a the they had a Spud King <laughs> party, and um, they all dress up as uh, as you. And
2: then, lo and behold, you turn up.
0: Yeah,
1: actually, how did I, that
2: happen? They, they rang me up and I, because they sound a really you know, bunch of nice guys, and yeah. they, they were a bunch of nice guys. And it was, it was, I was happy that I went and caught up with them and brought them a few spuds. And yeah, they parted it on all night,
1: which is really good. I bet they did. It, it, it just seems like a, a, a bizarre world that you sometimes tap into, though.
2: Yeah, sometimes it, it does amaze me. And but like I said, I just follow. Yeah. Does everyone
1: expect you to turn up to their house with a bag of spuds? <laughs> I wouldn't have the time. <laughs> um, are you a fan of actually eating the spuds? I know you sell a, a lot of them, but do you eat a lot of spuds?
2: Yeah, sure. I, I do. I love roast potatoes. Yeah. I'll, I'll eat the spuds
1: before I eat the meat. I'm just, I just want to, I'm curious to know, personal curiosity, what's your, what's your favorite type the, of spud? I uh, love the royal blues. The royal blues. Yeah, okay. The,
2: they're the best. They're the ones that I But all of them, you know, it depends. If if you cook them properly, yeah. all spuds
1: are good. Okay. Um, loads of different spud recipes. You could put out a spud cookbook. I'm just, I'm just throwing some ideas at you here, Tony.
2: Well, I, I'm you not got I'm any not
1: more. Ready. So, if you want to get up at two in the morning and start working on something new, I'm not a cook. But, uh, <laughs> I, I just eat them. Yeah, fair enough. Eat them and sell them. Yep, that's um, it. I know where uh, you've got operations up in the in the in the north now, up in in Cananara and um, I think I've read some quotes from you recently where you uh, talked about uh, even growing produce to shipped to China. Is that still... Is that, is that on your agenda at all? Uh,
2: later on down the track. Yeah? Yeah. At the moment, uh, we're probably not ready for that market. Okay. But there's definitely scope to uh, supply uh, products.
1: A lot of agriculture going on yeah, there uh, is. up there, isn't there? Yeah. It seems like it's going through a, a pretty rapid transformation. The, the, only, the
2: only problem is our costs in, in Australia yep. are very expensive to compete with other uh, countries. Yeah. It makes it a bit hard.
1: All right. What's next on your... Uh, your 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 list of of acquisitions. Then, do you think in terms like of says, property I, and 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 I, certain projects I, you'd like to? to I never take I, of. I never
2: plan. Just things we just the way they evolve. And things just pop just up and you go. You're pop right. up and we yeah. don't. Yeah, if they don't, we just sit where we are.
1: Yeah. Are you a tough negotiator when it comes to? Uh, brokering these deals, I reckon or do you leave that I, I, to other members I of the reckon, family?
2: No, I, I do it all. But I reckon, in my old age, I'm getting too soft. <laughs> um,
1: how is your, your your health these days? I mean, yeah, pretty good. It's uh, it's an extraordinary um, timetable that you uh, that you that you live by. Up at three in the morning and working seven days a week. A lot of well, people would burn out. I train, I train out. about
2: four or five times a week. Okay, doing. We have got our own gym. Yeah, with the boys. Yeah, yeah, yep. and uh, I've got. Uh, uh, yeah, personal trainer. Yeah, he's ex-cage fighter, so a player. Oh, it's so, the Hulk. The Hulk, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I train with him about four or five Is times. Is that right? Yeah, he, we got a gym down at uh, head office. Yeah, okay. And uh, all the boys in in, o- in
1: in O'Connor in O'Connor. Yeah, okay. So you got the Hulk on. Yeah,
2: yeah. The so you being personally trained by the Hulk. Yep, no, really nice guy, and yeah, uh, he gets on well with all the boys, and yeah, got a lot of young kids that come there as well. that He trains up. It's yeah,
1: fantastic. Good. Yeah. So does he work you pretty hard? Too hard. Yeah. Um, and you were saying before, but that's
2: that, that's the key. You know, you you need to exercise. Yeah. You, know, you, you got to eat right. You got to vegetables. Eat the right food and Absolutely. exercise. Well, and that shouldn't be a worry for you. It keeps you going.
1: Yeah. Um, surgery on your throat. Yes. Um, tell us about that. How are you? How are you going recovering from that? Yeah, that
2: was a uh, horrible experience. Uh, yeah. I suffer from sleep apnea, and uh, I had the operation instead of I couldn't wear the machine. And, uh, after I had the operation, I probably would have been better off trying to use the machine. But, uh, yeah, no, at this stage, I, it's pretty good. It's, you know, I sleep a lot better. Yep. And, uh.
1: We well, can't put a price on a, uh, on a good night's sleep, even though you are up at three in the morning.
2: Well, I never sleep much anyway.
1: <laughs> no, well, it doesn't sound like you need too but, much of uh, it. But,
2: uh, I do feel a lot better now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no. So more energy. What uh,
1: what keeps you going outside of uh, the family business? I mean, I'm guessing you don't get a, a whole lot of time, but uh, the family's expanding, and they've got uh, got grandchildren yeah, I've, I've, now. I've
2: got seven grandkids. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you get much time to play the the doting granddad?
2: Yes, actually. Every Saturday, I pick up the, well, my grandson, and sometimes one of the girls come. Yep. and uh, we go around the shops um mm. teach from a young young age. And young Oliver. He's only seven and he knows how to drive a forklift, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I reckon, Are you even allowed to be telling me that? I reckon he'll be loading trucks by the time he's 10.
1: I see what you're doing here. You're recruiting the vid. yeah. That's one way to keep the wage bill down, isn't it? Get a, <laughs> get a very young fleet but, but of but forklift fine, drivers. You know, it, it keeps oh, them yeah. going and
2: you know, keep them pretty active around the shops. And uh, yeah, We we'll go around the shops and I'm, you know, tell them a lot of pointers what to go look for and he yeah. runs around. My
1: seven-year-old, you know, loves just seeing trucks and stuff. Wait till I tell <laughs> him that there are seven-year-olds actually driving them. He'll be, he'll be very jealous.
2: Actually, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. His he's, his coordination is
1: brilliant. <laughs> Start him young, Tony. You're I can see what's happening here. You, you're getting the next generation as good as
2: some of the staff that we've got. I tell you.
1: Oh, don't. Yeah. Well, if any of the other staff are listening, I'm sure they'll be thrilled <laughs> to hear that. But uh, um, and any other hobbies outside of uh, you know the the fruit and veg business um that, that keep you going no you don't have time my, for my that. uh my mm. business
2: is, is my passion is my yep. life and uh, it takes most of my time yeah so that's what i do
1: well i know you're a busy man tony so we appreciate your time uh no coming in and having a chat to us and uh, we look forward with interest to seeing well,
2: uh, thanks for having us
1: what's next uh, for the spudshed empire thanks again thank you. That is uh, Tony Galati, and that's uh, another edition of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Everyone has a story to tell, and this one, as always, is brought to you by Bower
0: and O'Day. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Bower and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So... We doubled it, chicken and macas together and loving it. But ba ba ba. Available after 10:30 a.m. for a limited time only.